to the book of Ephesians. <laughs> I guess I probably didn't have to say that, did I? Um, we are, uh, we're moving, we're moving along, and Lord willing, next week we will end chapter 2. Um, Lord willing. So you say, next week's Thanksgiving, are you going to preach out of Ephesians? Yep. So um, you, you guys all get together on Thanksgiving, give thanks to God, um, celebrate the uh, Thanksgiving story, pilgrims, turkeys, buckles on your shoes, all of that other stuff that, that goes along with that. Some of you may have venison, which would be very patriotic of you, um, and it would also be very patriotic of the deer to let you do that. So, uh, at any rate. So, um, today I want to talk to you about welcome to the household, and it's going to be a little bit different, and we're going to go lots of places with this, um, but we're going to begin by reading chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, here in uh, the book of Ephesians. Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm going to come back and make some comments on this, but I want you to read with me the next couple of verses here, and we'll, and we'll stop there. It comes into this in a second. For this reason, now remember, Paul didn't write this with threes and twos and ones and verses. He didn't put chapters and headings in it. That was put in hundreds of years later, to enable us to go find stuff and memorize stuff, etc., for the, for the sake of study. So, chapter 3, verse 1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Notice he says, you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how this mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Um, and then he goes on, and I'm, I'm not going to, uh, that's enough of an introduction for what we're going to say a little bit later. Throughout this passage, and actually throughout all of the verses of, of chapter 1 and chapter 2 up to this point, Paul uses pronouns that are different. He talks about you and we, or you and us. And in some of those instances, the us is all people who trust in Christ. 
Some of those instances, the us is us Jew people. You Gentiles, us Jews. Paul was a Jew. Do you know that? Jesus was a Jew. James was a Jew. John was a Jew. And uh, I'd go right through this. If, if I was back at church camp, I would get extra points for saying all their names, but I'm not, so I'm not going to do it. All right? So all of the apostles were Jews. As a matter of fact, there were no non-Jewish believers for more than a decade in the early church. Everyone was Jewish. So Paul's writing this, and the, the crux of what he is emphasizing here is what God has done with that. So let, let me back up for just a second and, and just briefly go through kind of chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 314, remember that great big long sentence? He goes over all the manifold, manifest, manifold blessings of God that were in Jesus. And he says it was part of God's plan before the foundation of the world. And it, and it goes clear to the end of all things when there's, when there's a consummation for all believers and they receive their full inheritance. Then in verses 15 through 23, Paul prays for these believers at Ephesus and he prays that they would see or know or experience and that they would trust all that God has done through Jesus Christ on their behalf. Jesus who is the head of all things. Then when we start chapter 2, he talks about the great transformation and he talks about how in verses 1 through 10 how they were dead in trespasses and sins and again we talked about I'm not going to go through all that but that great transformation from death to bondage in verse 4 chapter 2 he starts but God being rich in mercy and he talks about all the good things that God has done so these people in in chapter 2 up to these verses that we've started now he is he very heavily emphasizes how they were dead how they were in bondage, and then how, how through Jesus Christ they have life, liberty, salvation, and actually even exaltation, because it says that they were raised up together and seated with Christ in heavenly places. They weren't just left here. They were raised up with Him in this, in this spiritual sense. Now, as we move into this today, there are a whole bunch of wonderful things in this passage that we will... Um, Break down a little bit more for you next, for next week. This passage says that Christ is our peace. And in that, he's not only talking about our personal peace with God, peace with God, that allows us to have peace from God. He's also talking about peace between these Jews and Gentiles. And that God, and just to be um, real quick with this, that God has taken these uh, uh, diverse people who had enmity between themselves, b- between the groups, and made one man. He's made, and so when you go through, if you mark in your Bible, you can mark that. He made one man, a new man, and he made it one body. And if you, know, if you understand Christian theology at all, you know that one body is the body of Jesus Christ. That all men who believe, who trust in God, through Jesus Christ, by faith, trust in His grace, are part of one body. And that we've been, we've been brought near. We're no longer aliens. Um, he's done this by one spirit. He's made us citizens. He's made us members of the household of God. He is building us into a holy temple so that we can be a dwelling place of God. God no longer dwells in a particular place. We don't come into God's presence on Sunday morning. I, I get frustrated, and I, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I was listening to a, a very well-known, a, a fellow I respect. I listen, I read his books and got a lot of stuff, and there's a, a tape of him. And he talked about how when people gather together, they, they gather into God's presence. You don't gather into God's presence. You maybe gather in the presence of other people, okay? Because I was not with you until you showed up here. And, and maybe I'm not with you now. I don't know. Maybe you're not with me. I don't know how all that works. But we were at different places and we came here together. But you, did nev- you never left the presence of Almighty God. You can't, it's impossible. And when you leave this place, you're not leaving His presence. Say, well, this is a special place. It's only special because we, bring, we, we all bring Him here together. 
We, we all bring Him in with us. It's, it's not special apart from that. And, and when we leave, He goes with us. You are not a Christian one and a half hours or two hours a week or whatever such time you dedicate to do godly things, whether it's your Bible study in the morning, your prayer over a meal, or whatever else. <laughs> you are a Christian all 168 hours of the week. If you're riding your tractor, you're a Christian. If you're on your way to work and you're a believer, then you're a believer. If while you're at work, you're a believer, you're a believer. Okay? You, 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 when you get angry, you're an angry believer. Okay? When you get sad, you're a sad believer. Okay? And there are other things we could say about all that, but I just want to kind of kind of deal with all that. We, he's made us into a dwelling place of God because He sent His Spirit within us. Now, I, um, I'm trying to make sure I don't get ahead of myself here in my notes, but um, one of the commentators I read uh, began this chapter by waxing eloquent. <laughs> uh, that was what he called his car. No, that's a... I'm so, bad joke, right? All right. He, so he he was waxing eloquent about uh, tribes and racism and people groups that don't get along, um, and and basically the focus of what he was trying to say was that in Christ we have unity. And there is an emphasis, there is a, a part of that that's here, but that's not what's going on. That's not what Paul is trying to do. As a matter of fact, when we read this, and if you read it over with this in mind, you will find out that Paul, through this passage, goes out of his way to tell them that they are different than him. You were aliens. You were without God. You were apart from the promises of God. You were without hope in this world. So, when I looked at this, if I was doing these chapters, <laughs> um, I, maybe, I maybe send this in to somebody and see if I can get this done. Um, chapter 1 would go to chapter 2, verse 10. Now, you just, just think about this and go look at it later. And, and you'll agree with me, and, and then I'll gather all your letters, and we'll write them to a Bible publisher, and we'll get something changed, Okay. <laughs> so, if, if I were writing this, if, if I was changing it, chapter 1 would go to, to chapter 2, verse 10, and then chapter 2 would start at verse 11 and go through chapter 3. So, the Bible that you've got now that has three chapters would have two. Because chapter 3 is a continuation of what he's talking about in chapter 2. He's, he goes on in, in chapter 3 because uh, to focus on his ministering to the Gentiles. And it ends, chapter 3 ends with one of, again, one of Paul's wonderful prayers, um, which is based upon his special calling to the Gentiles. Now, um, let me give you three or four, I guess I've got three here with some subpoints, basic facts as we, before we move on the rest of this. The Ephesian church was mostly Gentiles. They were formerly pagan idol worship. Okay? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's where they, you know, that's where Paul went and he preached and they had a riot uh, because all the people who made the idols were losing money because no one was buying their, their, their statues anymore. So, when Paul went into a community... He first went to the synagogue, and there was a, there were synagogues in each one of these communities. Can't go into the his, historicity of all that, but there were synagogues in each of these communities. Paul would go into them. He would share how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, and usually there would be a few believers, and they would eventually kick him out because they would say he was a heretic. And then he would go to where the Gentiles were, and he would share this gospel with them. So these churches built up every place that Paul went. 
mostly among Gentiles. Some of them were what, what we referred to as God-fearers. And I, I don't have time to go into all that today, except to say that most of these people were Gentiles. So when Paul writes to them and he says, and, and he uses the terminology that I tried to point out, um, where he refers to them as you, Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. And then he goes on to explain about circumcision in that process. That when he uses that, he's talking to these people who are not Jewish. Number two, we don't know what prompted this letter. And we've said this as we covered some of the other epistles before. Paul is dealing with something, and we're only reading his part. It's like listening to half a phone call. We don't hear what they're saying, but we hear what this person is saying. So we try to assume certain things, or we would try to assume certain things, unless he spells it out very explicitly. So what he's writing to them, he wants them to know, either uh, preemptively to deal with something, or in response to something that's happening or already happened. So, A, we only get one side. B, this was not written in some random or arbitrary manner, but with a God-inspired purpose. What Paul wrote here was a God-inspired purpose. For us, yes, but it had to have a purpose for them or there was no reason to writing it. So we, we can't pull this all out of context and say, well, it doesn't have anything, you know, it didn't have anything to do with them. It had everything to do with them. That's why he wrote it. The third thing, that we have to understand, and I think I kind of touched on this already. The world of Paul's day uh, to a Jew, and Paul was a Jew, was divided into two groups. Jews and everyone else. Now, if you were a Roman, and Paul was a Roman citizen, wasn't he? If you were a Roman, your world was divided into two groups. Romans and Barbarians. Okay. So Paul was both um, a Jew and a Roman, uh, both, uh, three, and a barbarian. To the Jews, he was one of God's chosen people, and everybody else was excluded from those promises. Actually, we, I, I read that to you as we started the message today. Um, so when the gospel came... It came into this world of Judaism. It came into these Jews who were God's specially called people. Um, One commentator said this, and I I thought it was very good. He said, the Jews were separated by diet, appearance, marriage, worship, and then, of course, circumcision. Well, stop to think about it and think, think about your Old Testament and think about Daniel and uh, uh, those three Hebrew children. You know, their, their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if you read that carefully, you find out that they had Israeli names. Okay? And I only remember one of them right off the top of my head, and that was Azariah. So here these people, here these people were. How different were they? They were so different they couldn't fit in. So here we're giving you a new name, and we're going to do all this stuff, and and we're going to make you like we want you to be. And they said, "Well, you remember what they did?" They said, "Let us not do that. Let us do what we normally do." And when they tested them, they were smarter and brighter and better than everyone else. So they let them be until they wouldn't bow down. And then they threw him in a furnace. How many know all this story? We, we, you, you get, you see throughout that how they're, they're called to God. Jewishness separated them from everybody else. They, they, they were, they were different. It didn't matter where on the face of the earth they went. They were different. And we, we see that in Esther. We see that in the book of Esther. And if we look carefully through the Old Testament, We see that that's how God intended it. He wanted them to be different. Now, we'll talk more about God's purpose here in a second. So every place they went, they stood out. (sighs) 
So what do we have going on here in this book? We have the Apostle Paul. Let me rephrase that. We have the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, telling them who they are in Jesus Christ. Who are they? They're no longer separated. They're now one man. And by the way, we talked about that one body. Guess who the head of that body is? Jesus. He said, they're, they're, now, being, they're now part of the household. They're now being built into a building. And I'm, I'm abbreviating all that. We'll come back to that here at the end. So, even today, there are conflicting, conflicting opinions among believers about the place of Jews in, in today's, uh, I use the word economy, in today's age, and and about the body of Christ. Where do the Jews fit in the promises of God? And ever since the uh, beginning of October, when this terrible attack happened, it's come up again and again and again, and theologians are going back and forth and explaining and counter-explaining and declaring and counter-declaring and doing all sorts of interesting things. In Paul's day, the Jews were arrogant. You, you can't read the Gospels and not see that. And Jesus dealt with their arrogance. They said, you can't tell us anything. We're of Abraham, our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were really of Abraham, your father, you'd know who I am. Jesus went on to say, you're not of, you know, your father's not Abraham, your father's the devil, he's the father of lies, and you lie like he does. I love Jesus was so conciliatory to all of these people. You know, he just was oozing all this goodness and love to them all the time. Uh, but over and over again, they, they, they said, you know, you're breaking the law. But, of course, they eventually learned you can't win a debate with this guy. So they, you know, it's like in a game and you can't win, so you, you tip the, you get up and you tip, dump the table. And that's what they did. They decided, that I can't win a debate with this guy. Everything we ask him, he's got an answer for. So they got people to lie about him and they killed him. It's kind of an old tactic. But they were arrogant. And I'll just throw this out to you. Um, uh, you can read it. I'm going to read quickly here. Just go back uh, to the book of Romans and read a couple of verses. Um, in, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about the place of Jews in the New Testament uh, uh, epoch and the New Testament times. And... In verse 20, he says this, um, That is true, they, talking about the Jews, were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And earlier, Paul had used the illustration of grafting branches into this tree. And what was the tree? <clears throat> the tree was the promises that God made to, to Abraham that a Messiah would come and be the and be blessed, be the blessing of all the nations. And I'm afraid, and I'm just throwing some things out here theologically, in case some of you are so inclined to listen to some of this stuff that our modern, <clears throat> excuse me, that some of our modern theologians have become arrogant. just like the Jews of Paul's first century was. Now, let's go on a little journey. Again, we're, we're setting the stage. We're going, to, uh, we're going to talk some more about all of this stuff next week. But our journey begins in the beginning. That would be Genesis. I know you were all thinking it, right? Genesis chapter 12. Just a couple verses <clears throat> just to kind of set the stage. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go away from your country, your kindred, 
and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So from the beginning of the calling of Abraham who became the father of the Jews, who also, if we read in Romans, I won't have time to look at all those scriptures today, but who also became the father of all who trust in God, the father of the faithful, because Paul in the book of Romans tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, all who trust in Christ and approach God by faith are sons of Abraham. And Paul is kind of alluding to some of that here in Ephesians chapter 2 when he talks about the, the circumcision made by hands and how it, it's not really anything. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, next week. But here, here we see this promise, this covenant perhaps with Abraham to, for God's chosen people. And he says, in you, and there are other promises, I'm going to go to them, and there's a specific place where the covenant is going. We're not going to go to that. I'm just going to introduce the idea that, that you're my chosen people, and I'm going to have my presence among you, and through you, I want to reach the world. And through you, I will ultimately produce a Savior. Now, and again, I didn't read it, but if you read that, you'll find out that Abraham was living off among the pagans, in Chaldea, Babylonish, Babylonish area, and God called him. God said, Abraham, get up and leave. And he went. And he went and, and he dwelt in a certain city with his father until his father died. And then God said to him again, Abraham, get up and move. I want you to go over here. And, and at times during Abraham's life, when things were difficult, God would reappear to him. God would show up again and say, Abraham, I promised you this. <laughs> He says, Abram, his name was Abram, isn't that great? He says, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham. Well, that's funny. Because Abraham was like 90 years old, and Abram was like 90 years old, and Abraham means what? Father of a multitude. Now, that passes over our heads, but if you're Abram and God's you know, you have this dream and he says, or God appears to you and he says, hey, Abram, I'm changing your name to Abraham for you're going to be the father of many. You know, he's probably doing, who are you talking to? Yeah, I'm 90 years old. My wife is just as old as I am. She's a little older. How's this going to, and you guys know the story, don't you? And they did, they did have a child and that child had children and that had children and they went eventually into Egypt about 70 people and came out maybe 2 million. And it was in those times that he says, look, when, when things were desperate and nothing was happening and it didn't look like things were going, God would appear to him. He says, you look up and, and as you see the stars, I'm going to make your descendants as the stars and as the sand of the sea. Now those were euphemisms, but he says, I'm going to be more than you can count. And, and we, we talk about uh, you know, maybe 500 years after that promise, 550 perhaps, after that promise, when they came out of Egypt, how many were there? And that was how many thousand years ago? So, let's skip ahead to the New Testament. Let's go to the book of Acts, and you guys, if you want, you can go home and say, we covered the entire Old Testament today. Uh, we went from Genesis to the book of Acts. Um, now I'm going to read. I'm going to read an entire chapter. I see some of you reaching for pillows. Um, <laughs> the tenth. Thank you. I was going to get there eventually, but that's all right. The tenth chapter. Now, I already kind of set the stage for this. And I want you to read, I want, I'm going to read this and you think along with me as I read it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So what do we know about this guy already? Quiz time. All right. We know murder. Okay. I'm sorry. That's how it sounds. He's a Roman. He's probably Italian. He's not only a Roman, he's an Italian Roman, which means he is not a Jew. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God came, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him with terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now I'm going to I want to interject something here bef- uh, before we go on, and this is just an amazing story. I hear uh, preachers and sermons and stuff that the New Testament church should be like the Book of Acts. Our church today cannot be like the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts was full of first things. First things break from what was and institute something new. It is unlikely we're going to have what happened with Cornelius happen again. So you ponder that as you think about all of the theological implications of what just happened there. All right? God wanted to do something, and he's not done. Let's read the rest of this. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray. And like most of us, he became hungry. Oh, I added those words, all right? And he became hungry and wanting something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, why would Peter say that? Because he's a Jew. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, (laughs) we mentioned this morning that one of the rules of interpretation of prophecy is that you can never really know what the prophecy is until it happens. Okay? So here's this fantastic thing that Peter sees, and he's scratching his apostolic head, trying to figure out what it means when... This happens. Knock, knock. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, is lodging there. And while Peter was pondering pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I've often wondered... I'd be careful here, but uh, I I don't want to say Peter was dense. I want to say Peter was a product of his culture. And it took a lot to break it. It took a lot to change his thinking so his thinking was like God's thinking. He not only showed him the vision, how many times? Three times. And we don't get the, 
when it's over, Peter's still scratching his head. It's not like the third time he said, okay, Lord, I'll eat, I'll eat that stuff. So it looks like each time he said, no, I can't eat that. No, I can't eat that. No, I can't eat that. And then he gets, his, and then he gets another voice saying, I sent those people. Go listen to them. And Peter went down, in verse 21, to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and his close friends. Now, uh, in normal times, an evangelist like Peter would just be drooling. Because he's got a guy who said, please come and tell us something. And when uh, Peter gets there, he finds out this guy's invited all his friends and his family. So they're all there waiting to hear Peter say something. Um, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand, to, stand up, for I, am a, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to him, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. It was illegal to the Jews... To have a Gentile in their house. And it was illegal for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house. So when you read the story about the Good Samaritan, the Samaritans were part Jewish and part Gentile. They were the kind of the, the interbred people from an earlier captivity when, when the, the conquerors ceded the, ceded the land with their own people. And, and they intermingled, they intermarried. So when you read that story about the Samaritan, the impetus of it is that they weren't supposed to have anything to do with this. Uh, uh, the Samaritan shouldn't have had anything to do with that Jewish guy, and yet it was the Samaritan who helped him. Um, you yourselves know how lawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house. About the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So God even gave this guy the, you know, where, the address. So I sent for you at once. And you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened up his mouth said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he set about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And you were witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now, again, briefly, Peter shares the gospel there. That's all. Those, you'd say it's hard to share the gospel. It is not. Jesus Christ was a man approved of God, and he did good deeds. He was without sin. He was perfect. He was God the Son. But sinful men killed him and buried him, and he rose on the third day. That's the gospel. Well, Peter shares it in just those couple sentences. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, the circumcised means who? Jews. Jewish believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 11. And, it, and it's Peter's... Um, explanation of what happened because the moment this happens they say Peter come to Jerusalem and explain what in the world you did baptizing these Gentiles why because there had been no Gentiles it had all been Jews in order to be a believer you had to be a Jew and without going into all the detail of that throughout all of Paul's ministry he fights these people who says before you can come to God you have to first come to him through the Old Testament And Paul is constantly arguing with them. He calls them Judaizers. He calls them the mutilation, which was a a play on the word circumcision. So they, they, these, that council in Jerusalem, you know, all the rest of them, they say, come here and explain yourselves what you did. And he went through the whole story. And, and then in verse 17, he says, if then, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I should stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Granted is a a way to say grace. And repentance, obviously you know what repentance means. Why did I share all that? Because there was this huge process that had to go through. And as Paul continues his as Paul continues his ministry, I'm going to look at that in just a second. As Paul continues his ministry, he's as I mentioned earlier, he's constantly dealing with these people. Say, well they're not Jews. You can't do this. They're not Jews. So this here's the first Gentile converts and and they didn't have to be Jews. They didn't they didn't they didn't know any they knew about it, but they didn't do any of the stuff. They didn't go to temple. They didn't they, they didn't do the beard thing. They didn't do the clothing thing. They didn't do the food thing. They didn't do the circumcision thing. The only thing they did was sit there and listen to Peter and they believed that when they believed the Holy Ghost fell on them and they became believers and they baptized them. All right, how many are with me so far? All right. How many got your pillow out? All right. So hang with me here. We're going we're gonna to close this. Um, back up to Acts 9. I just want to read to you a couple of verses. Now again, Paul is writing the book of Ephesians. So I want to talk to you about Paul. We know that Paul was on his way to Damascus. He's had a vision of the Lord. He goes to Damascus and he's hiding away on street straight. And he's blind. And God speaks to a man by the name of Ananias. And he says to him, now there was verse 10, Acts 9. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am. Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. Now listen to this. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And then I, I'm going to quit reading there, but that's when he prayed for Paul. You read that, you know, thing, he prays for him and the scale, he calls him Brother Paul, which is amazing. Scales fall from his eyes. Now, I want to read one more passage here from Acts 20, from the book of Acts, and it's in Acts 26. And it's Paul, in one of his trials, recounting the same thing. Um, we'll begin with verse 12 in Acts 26. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, 
I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. It shone all around, around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had all, and, and when all, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as, as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. So, present and future. Delivering you from people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. And he goes on to talk about what he did. So the Apostle Paul repeats the same thing. The, the, what we don't, Ananias, in, in that earlier chapter, we, don't, we hear God tell Ananias what to say. We don't hear Ananias repeat it. Here the Apostle Paul says, here's what this guy told me. He told me I was going to go speak to the Gentiles and the, and the Lord would deliver me from them, but I was, that's who I was supposed to go. Paul's ministry was focused on the Gentile pagans of the day. And to Paul, all people were alike to him. And I don't have time today to read it. I'm way past time. Sold and guilty before God. And you can, if you read the first couple of chapters, actually into chapter 3 of the book of Romans, you'll see that. And, and that, that whole beginning of that book begins with God laying out how everyone is guilty before God. That's why in, in John three sixteen and 17, those verses we love to quote, it says that the whole world's under judgment. Because they didn't believe God. So, when uh, we'll go back to the go back to this book, he says to these Ephesians, he said, "You guys were outside. The, you were outside. You weren't part of the prom- promises. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from Israel. You were strangers to the covenants. All those covenants. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. All those covenants. All those promises came to the Jews." They, 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 didn't, they didn't come to the Gentiles. It was through the Jews that the Gentiles were supposed to be reached. And I've never read a Bible scholar that says they did it. Every Bible scholar says, no, they didn't do it. They failed in God's purpose. He goes on to say, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. And then he goes in verse 3 of chapter um, excuse me, of verse 13 of chapter 2 and says, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he's our peace. I read through all this and I said to myself, what was going on here? I said, they had an inferiority complex. These Ephesians, apparently somewhere along the line, had bumped into the arrogance of the Jews. And Paul is writing this to them to say, listen, you are not inferior to the Jews. You are a new man, verse 15. You are made together both and you both have access in verse 18. You are citizens, he says in verse 19. You are part of the household, he says in verse 19. In verse 21, he says you're part of the temple. In verse 21, he says you're the dwelling place of God. He says all of that to them. So let me close with this. Where are we today? All of those things apply to us. So I wanted to set the context of this, and we're going to dig, dig down into this and look at all of these things in, in more detail as we go down through these verses next week. But I wanted to set the context of this so that we would understand it. Paul was writing to a people who were saying, you know, we, and, and, and Paul did it too. Paul said, you were cut off. He was... He, you know, today we don't tell the truth because we don't like it. We just kind of go over it and then we tell them, try to tell them something positive. Paul said, look, let me tell you the truth. You guys were cut off. You were without God. You were without hope. You weren't part of the promises. You weren't part of the commonwealth. You, you, you were just out there all the way. And, and, but God, through Jesus Christ, has pulled you close. It's only through Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me?
if your legs haven't gone to sleep because of this long sermon, we'll, we'll stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I know my heart is, I pray our hearts, our hearts are humbled. When we see, as we looked at today, the unfolding of your plan. That before the foundation of the earth, as Paul said in Romans 1, you plan to do what you have done and you knew about us today. We look at the marvel and the miracle of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 70 who went to Egypt and Moses in the Exodus. We we could spend more time looking at the at the at the kings and, and and David and his exploits and all the things he wrote and, and his heart and all the things that were there and, and and Lord in all that their failures and in all that your faithfulness. We could marvel that a fellow would come out of the wilderness clothed in rough garment, calling people to repent. We could and we should marvel that into that world at the right time, in the right place, you sent your son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. And that through his death, he put death to death. And delivered us who were always in fear of that death. He has conquered it. And in Him, we are more than conquerors. As we marvel, Lord, in all of Your goodness, I pray that You'll just increase our faith and our trust in You and our reliance on Your Word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.